Heavenly Father, we thank you, we praise you, we love you. You are indeed a great and an awesome God. Lord, as we go to your word right now, we thank you that you are the God of all comfort. And I just pray you would encourage us, exhort us, strengthen us during this time of trial and difficulty to know that, Lord, you're in control and you will use this for your glory if we will but let you. Help mold us into the men and women of God that you've called us to be. And so, Lord, as we go to your word, be our teacher tonight. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, amen. amen. By the way, the outline, Joshua, could you hand me an outline? Uh, the outlines are on, if you go to my Facebook page, it should be there. We may have it on the church Facebook page as well. If you'd like to grab it, um, we'll go over this together real quick, and then we'll dig into the Word of God. So first of all, let's talk a little bit about James. James, the author, and this is a book written by James. I love this book. One of the things I love about it is it's so practical. Uh, a lot of people have said it's, it's kind of like the, the Proverbs in the New Testament. It's just a practical, a lot of exhortation. In, in ways we can take actions in obedience to what God has called us to do. Uh, so here's the outline for tonight. Grab a pen if you've got it. It's really going to deal with what we're going through right now. I tell the message, marks of a mature Christian. How do, how do believers respond in times of difficulty? You know, the world is watching us right now to see how we respond. We see what the world's doing. They're panicking. They're anxious. They're fearful. They're uh, pointing fingers at each other politically. And guys, as believers, we ought to be different. We're called to be different. We're called to be salt and light. So marks of a mature believer. First thing we're going to see is if you're spiritually mature, it should change the way you see the Lord and the way you see yourself. The way we look at ourselves and the way that we look at the Lord is impacted by how we walk with the Lord. So we're going to see that first in James, how he responds, how he sees himself and how he sees Jesus. The heart of the bondservant is bound by love, not by law. And we need to recognize who Jesus is. He is Almighty God. He is the Lord. The Lord is salvation, Yeshua. He is the Messiah, the Christ, and the Anointed One. Now secondly, this is what's appropriate for us now. How to respond to trials and tribulations of life. One of the things we need to understand is that trials are not punishment from God, but an opportunity to be used by God. See, God knew this was coming, and so this is an opportunity to point people to Jesus. It's also an opportunity for you and I to grow spiritually, and so point number two, again, is how to respond to trials and tribulations of life, and then finally, a mark of a mature believer, not only how you see yourself and how you see the Lord and how you respond to the trials and tribulations of life, but where do you turn for wisdom, knowledge, and direction? Uh, don't let it be the media. Don't let it be the world. We walk not in the counsel of the ungodly. The world needs Jesus, and we have the answer, and we have the Holy Spirit, and we have the peace that surpasses all understanding. And so my exhortation for all of us, if you sit around and watch COVID covering all day long, and you're just listening to what the world has to say, you're going to be panicked, and you're going to be fearful, and you're going to be anxious. But God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a power and love and a sound mind. So let's begin there in James chapter 1. We're going to begin by looking at the marks of a mature Christian. And what's interesting is the man who wrote this book, of course the Holy Spirit wrote it through him, was James. And what I love about James is that James is a mature believer. He was a strong leader in the church. But as we're going to see, he was also the brother of Jesus who didn't get saved until after the resurrection. So let's begin there looking at the first thing we're going to take a look at, marks of a mature Christian, how to see yourself and how we see Jesus. It says, James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, ancient letters, we've talked about this repeatedly if you fellowship here. This is a letter written by James, and it's gonna, we're going to see in a minute, it's written to all the churches. Most of Paul's letters were written to a specific church or a region of churches. This is written to all believers, to all churches. And as he writes this, as he's reaching out to them, we always have to introduce, they always would introduce themselves at the beginning of the letter because they were written on scrolls. So they didn't roll all the way down to the bottom. So right at the beginning, you find out who's writing it. And he says, James. Now, who is this James? Well, it's interesting that we see a sense of humility here right off the bat. Just by what, reading his introduction, because James is the brother of Jesus. And I'm thinking if you're the brother of Jesus, you might lead with that. Can I get an Amen. But James doesn't do that. And this shows his humility. 
You know, I think if, if I was Jesus, I'd be wearing a t-shirt that said, I'm Jesus' brother, right? I mean, it would be something that I would let everybody know. Well, James was a, a man who recognized that while he was the earthly brother of Jesus, he was really a bondservant of Jesus. And so I love James's heart here that he introduces himself not as the brother of Jesus, but of a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, if you were writing the letter, if I was writing the letter, we might focus more on our physical relationship to the Lord. Now, the word bondservant, anybody who's a tense here knows this, what this is, the word's doulos, and it means somebody who's bound by love, not by law. It is someone who is a slave by choice. What would happen in those days is you could be enslaved because you owed a debt, and if it was a debt that you couldn't pay, then you would be enslaved until that debt was paid off. The longest amount of time, though, you could be enslaved was six years. At the end of six years, you're able to go free or if your debt was paid off sooner. Now, a bondservant is somebody who, after their debt was paid in full, because of their love for their master, because of their love for the family they become a part of, often the slave would have a wife and children, and they'd all be indentured to their master. But a bondservant is somebody who would come to their master when the time was for them to go free, and they would say to the master, I don't want to leave. I want to stay. I want to be bound to you for the rest of my life. Bound by love, not by law. See, it was the law that people were bound to when they had a debt. But once the debt was paid, they were no longer bound. It's interesting, we know in Ephesians chapter 21, it would say, it talked about the fact that after six years, you would be set free. You became a free man. But as a free man, you could choose to follow the Lord. And what I love about James here, the example he's giving us, is something found in Exodus 21, verses 5 and 6. And what they would do, if you became an indentured servant, you would go down to the city square. And they would bring you out in front of everybody, and they would drive an awl through your ear. And it was interesting that that awl would be driven into a piece of wood, and you'd have a big you know, piercing in your ear, showing that you were bound for the rest of your life. It was a choice that you had made to be, uh, again, bound by love and not by law. And I love that picture because it's interesting that blood would be, you know, through a you know, piercing blood on the wood. Again, a picture of what Jesus Christ would do for us on the cross all the way back in Exodus. And so James refers to himself as, I'm a servant of Jesus. I'm not bound by law. I'm not even bound by blood. You know, the fact that he's my physical brother, I'm bound by love. I'm a bondservant. I choose to surrender my life fully to the Lord. See, this is a man that God can use, a man who recognizes and is a man who walks in humility. So it's only men and women who walk in humility that can be used for the Lord. It's nothing, very few things are more nauseating to me than someone who claims to be a Christian being arrogant and self-righteous. Matter of fact, when you look in the Bible, when you see Jesus getting angry, it's when he looked at people who were religious leaders who were self-righteous and arrogant. You know what? The mark of a spiritually mature man or a spiritually mature woman is a heart of humility. You know why we should be humble? Because when we look at Jesus, we recognize just how desperately we need him. He doesn't need us. We need him. And he is an awesome, a holy, a righteous, a just, and a faithful God. We get to be adopted into his family. That ought to bring us to a place of humility and brokenness before the Lord. I love how basically what he's saying is, you're my master. I love you. I want to stay. There's nowhere else I'd rather be. You know, as Christians, that ought to be our heart. That you're, Lord, you're our master. I want to stay. And there's nowhere else I'd rather be. There's nothing the world has to offer and you know what? When you walk with the Lord for any length of time, it truly is a get-to that we get to serve the creator of the universe. Now, sometimes people, some of these servants would not be bound to the Lord or bound to their master in this case because they were worried about what they had to give up. And a lot of times I'll witness to people about the Lord and something I'll often hear is, well, I'll serve Jesus as long as I can keep partying on the weekends. You know, I'll give my life to Jesus as long as I can keep sleeping with my girlfriend. I'll give my life to Jesus as long as I... And what will happen is they'll esteem physical pleasure and the things of this world as being more important than the Lord. And guys, when we humble ourselves, when we come to a place where we make the Lord first... By the way, when you give your life to Jesus, you give up nothing. You gain everything. 
What you give up is that which is perishing, that which is bringing harm to your life. And the mark of the spiritually mature believer is, Lord, you're more important to me than anything. And Lord, you can have my life. You can have all my stuff belong. I'm living in your house, driving your car. That's your money in my bank account. And whatever gifts I have, whatever time and treasures I have, I want to use them for your kingdom and for your glory, not for my comfort. And we see that heart here in James as he refers to himself as a bondservant. Instead of recognizing who Jesus is and his incredible love for us, realizing in coming to him, we give up nothing. Again, too often people are so focused on what they'll gain. A lot of times a false gospel is preached, which is come to Jesus and he'll give you everything you ever wanted. And they make him the holy Santa Claus in the sky. And again, we learn from Jesus, from the example of James and his relationship with the Lord, is he already knows that God's given him. The Lord has given him everything he could ever want and hope for. Guys, we can't outgive the Lord, amen? So could it be said of you and me, Dave, a bondservant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ? Put your name in there. Does that make you shake a little bit, or does that sound about right? Now, again, we can all do better. Can I get an amen to that? We can all be closer to the Lord. But you know what? I pray that Jesus is the, Jesus is the first thing you think about when you wake up in the morning. That you spend your day, begin your day, spend your day, and end your day with him. That you pray without ceasing, that for this is the will of God. That you recognize that he's a faithful God and in control. Look, I'm not afraid of this virus, not one bit. Why? Because you can't threaten me with heaven. At the same time, we want to be neither foolish nor faithless. We want to be people who don't go out and act you know, out of control and cause others to get sick. We don't want to do that. We want to be mindful of other people. But at the same time, we should not be walking around scared half to death like the world is right now. Why? Because God is in control and God is faithful. Amen? So James' heart is not only in how he sees himself as a bondservant, but how he sees Jesus. Here's how he refers to him. Uh, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. In the original language, these two are linked together. God and the Lord Jesus Christ. It's one person. It's one God and three people. Can I get an amen to that? And there's a link here between the two of them. It's not God and the Lord, like they're two separate entities. Again, it's one God and three persons. The linking the, the two together makes them equal because Jesus is God. God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Lord Jesus Christ anybody has ever been to our church before, we know that that's not his first, last, and middle name. Can I get an amen? Lord, the word is kurios, which speaks of his supremacy, supremacy, excuse me, his authority and his deity. So Jesus Christ is Lord. By the way, he alone is Lord. He's the Lord of all. And if he's either the Lord of all or he's not Lord at all in our lives, can I get an amen? So he refers to him as Lord, and then he says Jesus. Now Jesus in Hebrew is Yeshua, which means the Lord is salvation. The Lord is who he is. He's almighty God. He's deity. His name is why he came to save lost sinners like you and me, to restore sinful man back to holy God. And the word Christ is the anointed one or the Messiah, the one we've been waiting for, the one who over 200 Old Testament prophecies all pointing to the Messiah, all fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Guys, he's the answer. The Messiah is not the person who comes up with the vaccine. The Messiah is not somebody who's going to come along. It's interesting, in the last days, we're just getting a glimpse. I think these are birth pangs, right? And in the, when the tribulation does come, it's going to be far worse than anything we're experiencing right now. I mean, this is a heavy-duty flu bug, but it's a flu bug. There's no 120-pound hailstones falling from the sky, and a fourth of the world population is not dying in a single day. That will happen during the Great Tribulation. And during that time, people will run to men for answers. Guys, we don't run to men. We run to the Lord. So how does James see himself? He sees himself as a bondservant. I'm just a servant of the Lord. And how does he see Jesus? He's almighty God in human flesh. He's the Lord, Savior, God, and King. He's the Messiah we've been waiting for. He's the one. And so James makes it very clear just how quick, just who he is in Christ. He recognizes who he is. He recognizes who Jesus is. And by the way, if you're just skimming through the internet right now, let me clue you in. Let me tell you who you are. You ready? You're a sinner just like me. We're all sinners in desperate need of a Savior. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish. Not, not whosoever does good works. Not whosoever gives to charity. Not whosoever you know, is uh, helping his neighbors. We should do those things. But guys, our salvation comes through the shed blood of Jesus Christ upon the cross of Calvary and no other way. And praise God for his love and his grace 
and his infinite mercy. So James could have been boastful and said the brother of, be, of Jesus. He could have been bitter. He could have been bitter, but he's humble. Can you imagine being the brother of Jesus? Now, that would be a blessing without question, but it would also be a tough, he's a tough act to follow. You thought your big brother was rough to follow or your big sister. Can you imagine? Jesus is almighty God. I wonder what Jesus was like when he was nine. We know he was perfect. Can I get an amen to that? The only perfect nine-year-old there's ever been. Can I get an amen? And he was perfect. And you, you know, I just imagine James calling him Mr. Goody Two Sandals or something, man. You always do everything right, you know? But instead of being bitter, his heart, he's, he's humble. And now he's recognized Jesus for who he is. He denied him until his resurrection. And now, as my dad would say, who's now in heaven, when James got saved, he got saved real good. He was all about it, about the kingdom of God and about his glory. And then it says here, to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad. So this writing is to the whole church, 12 tribes of Israel. Now, one of the things I want us to notice here, and it applies to today, is that persecution came when the church first came together. But did you know that that persecution, and do you know that that trial scattered the gospel? See, the tribes were scattered, and they were scattered because their lives were in danger. Remember, he told them, Jesus said, the Great Commission, go therefore to all the world and preach the gospel, baptizing in the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. He told them to go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. And what, what can happen with Christians, we can all just you know, get in a Christian clutch and all hang out together and not want to go out into the world. And you know what? This trial that we're going through right now, a lot of us have been separated into different places, and you may not be able to talk to people one-on-one necessarily, but I'll tell you what, praise God for social media, and let's use it for the kingdom of God. Let's witness to people. Let's send links to people of messages that they can watch. You know, there's people that will watch at home that might never come to church just because, you know, they don't have to be confronted with who they are. So guys, this is an opportunity for the gospel. And so the tribes were all scattered, but as they were scattered, they needed to be reminded. And this is an exhortation coming from James to encourage Christian believers on how to respond in the midst of difficulty and trials. That's what we're going to see in the next few verses. So they had fled Jerusalem in fear for their lives. And again, there were days, this is when in the early church, you know, right now there's people that think the fact that we can't meet together, we're being persecuted. Well, if they were only doing it to churches, I would agree with that. And by the way, if they were only doing it to churches, I'd be here every single Sunday and they'd have to take me away in chains because we're going to have, we're going to preach Jesus Christ and crucified and risen from the dead even, if they, even when they outlawed. Can I get an amen to that? And I would have everybody here. But that's not why we're not here. We're not here because of health concerns. And we're being, again, faithful, Romans 13, submitting to the authority God has placed over us. But I want you to know that that's not what's taking place in the time of James. They were being imprisoned. Christians were being beaten. Christians were fed to lions. That's not just something in the movies. That really happened. And so Christians were under persecution, but persecution created the spreading of the gospel. And so too, trials and difficulties bring about divine appointments and opportunities for the gospel. Right now, you and I have divine appointments every single day, and there are people right now who are willing to listen who don't normally want to. And I want to encourage you, let's not miss out on this opportunity Again, to minister to a lost and a dying world. We need to have an eternal perspective. People are going to hell without Jesus. Does that bother you? It ought to. Amen? That breaks my heart. Every believer this side of hell should be bur- heaven to be burned for every unbeliever this side of hell. And, and as Christians, we're not called to just keep it to ourselves. And we shouldn't be self-righteous. And we shouldn't look down on other people. We're just one beggar leading another beggar to the bread. Then he finally says, greetings. It seems to be a simple enough way to begin his letter. But again, note the context. It's written to those who are scattered abroad through persecution. The word greeting there, here's what it means. You ready? Rejoice. You've been scattered all over the known world. You're running for your life. And he writes a letter saying, rejoice. Hey guys, we're confined to our homes. There's a pandemic going on around us. Here's my word for all of us tonight. Rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Always means always. It means when there's a pandemic, we can still rejoice. Amen? Because guys, we're going to heaven. God is in control. 
We've been adopted into his family. We're filled with the Holy Spirit. He'll never leave us nor forsake us. He's Jehovah Jireh, Lord God, our provider. He is the great physician. Guys, we're not going through this alone. He's a faithful God, and we can trust him. I can't imagine being like the world that's scared half to death because they don't have any hope, and they don't rejoice because they don't know the Lord. James is telling believers who are in fear of being put to death for their faith to rejoice, and that's a word for all of us. They may have thought, he doesn't know all that we've been through. How can he tell us to rejoice? How can he tell us to rejoice in light of the persecution that we face? Well, the following verses are going to make it very clear that not only does he understand, but the Holy Spirit has given him an incredible perspective of their circumstances, and he's about to shed light on the fruitfulness that's produced by such trials. A lot of us have talked about this. All the world's, a lot of the world's idols just fell apart in about a week, didn't they? You can't go to a football game, you can't go to a baseball game, you can't go to a basketball game, you can't go to the movies, you can't go to the bar. Planned Parenthoods are closed, thank you Jesus. And the reality is, a lot of things have been taken down. You know what that does? It's bringing people to the end of themselves. You know, it reminds me of when, you know, Elijah went in and was kicking down all the, you know, kicking down all the idols. He's taken on, and you know what? Praise God that a lot of these idols have been taken down. And now people are in a place where their tension can be on the Lord. And guys, we need to use this as an opportunity to point people to Jesus. So number one, marks of a mature Christian. How do you see yourself? We should see ourselves as humble, broken, and desperate. Bond servants, amen? How do we see Jesus? He's Almighty God. He's the Lord. He's the Savior of the world. He's God incarnate. Can I get an amen to that? He is the Lord. He is our Savior. Point number two, how you respond to trials and tribulations of life. So how does a mature believer... Someone whose life is bearing fruit, who is growing in their relationship with the Lord, how should you and I, how should we respond in the midst of trials and tribulation? James is going to show us. Let's look there in verse 2. It says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. Count it all joy. He's already told them rejoice, and in case they missed it, he tells them to count it all joy. So guys, the trials of this life are an opportunity for the gospel. The difficulties of life that God allows into our lives is so that we would grow spiritually and that he would be glorified. So right now, we have a divine opportunity to grow spiritually and for God to be glorified in our lives and in the divine appointments that he brings our way. In the midst of the trials, it's so easy to lose perspective. Again, in the context, they had left their homes and families and possessions. They were dwelling in foreign countries. It's so easy in the midst of those times to feel like uh, the, the trial is ruining everything. And for a lot of us, it may feel that way. Look, I'm not downplaying that people have lost their jobs and you don't know how you're going to pay your mortgage. I get it. That's real. I understand that. Some of us have gotten sick and there's a concern. I understand that. But guys, here's the good news. God's in control and God is faithful. And he's not surprised by any of this. This didn't just happen. It had to go through God's hand first. And God will use it for his glory in our lives if we will but let him. You know what? When we put your focus on the trial, you begin to feel overwhelmed by your circumstances. But when you put your faith in Jesus, it's just a trial. And we can rejoice and we can count it all joy. Because guys, when the world goes through it, they go through it alone. When we go through it, God goes before us. He'll never leave you nor forsake you, and he is a faithful God. In such times, we can just try to get past it. We can feel anxious and burdened and impatient. And James' word of exhortation and encouragement, again, to count it all joy, is we're not to view our difficulties as a source of discouragement, nor consider them to be a course of punishment. See, a trial, God allows it for a reason. And by the way, a faith that hasn't been tested is a faith that cannot be trusted. And it's a testing of, without a test, there can be no testimony. See, it's the trials of life where we grow the most. Those of us who want to be used mightily by God, look in the Bible, and everybody used mightily also suffered greatly. And so this suffering was but light affliction, as we will talk about in a moment. But what we need to do is to see the trials of life 
as a true source of happiness, a true source of joy. And again, not saying, hey, I got laid off at work, so I'm going to go home and do cabbage patch or something in my lawn, right? No, that's not what I'm talking about. You know, you lost your job, you're diagnosed with an illness, you're enduring persecution. You know, I'm not saying that. I'm not talking about uh, a false happiness. I've met people like that. They're kind of nauseating. Every time you see them, how you doing? I'm doing great, man. You know, whoa, okay, it's okay. And I've met people like that. No matter what, they don't really mean it, and they're just trying to convince themselves that they're happy. Guys, joy has nothing to do with our circumstances and everything to do with who we are in Christ. See, it's joy because the fruit of the Holy Spirit is love and joy and peace and kindness. See, we can have joy because we have the Holy Spirit in the midst of the trials, and the world does not. The word joy there in the Greek is a calm delight or gladness to see beyond the immediate trial to the eventual fruit. Again, note this is a word for all of us. Notice he says, when you fall into various trials. It doesn't say if, it says when. So as believers, we're either in a trial or coming out of a trial or getting ready to go into another trial. Trials are a part of our life as believers. So when trials come, we shouldn't be surprised. Now, it's not always like right now, we're kind of in a universal trial. The whole church, in a sense, all believers, the entire world is in, in some level of a trial. We are. But again, as believers, especially in our country, this is some of the people in countries around the world right now, are, 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 their faith's being threatened. They're being threatened with their own lives. And we're bummed out because we can't get toilet paper. I mean, that's not really that big of a trial. So here's the reality, guys. In the midst of this trial, we need to have that eternal perspective. And if we do, we're going to respond different than the world does. As Christians, trials are an absolute certainty. And again, not a punishment, but an opportunity to be used by God. The word fall into speaks of something that is unavoidable. It's not like you're in a trial because you went the wrong direction. It's something that's put in front of you, and it's unavoidable, and it comes into your life, and now you got to deal with it. It can be all-encompassing like falling into a, into a pool of water. But unlike sin and temptation that we respond to or go out looking for, the trials of life have a degree of seriousness. And for the most part, again, we're either in a trial, coming out of a trial, or heading into one. Now, notice what it says there in verse 3, as I read it a moment ago, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. The word patience there in the Greek is hupomone, which means it doesn't speak of passive waiting, but an active endurance. It's not a patience where you just sit back and do nothing. It's where you have patience and you continue to remain faithful in the midst of the trial. And that's what that word patience means. It's not the quality that helps you sit quietly in the doctor's waiting room as much as the quality that helps you finish a marathon. That's what this is talking about. So this patience is, by the way, if you quit on the first lap, you will never finish a marathon. Can I get an amen to that? And I I don't... I'm like, you know, I play football. I don't, I don't like to run unless I'm running to hit somebody or catch a ball or something. And the Bible even says the wicked run when no one is chasing them. So God bless you guys for running. But the reality is I, I, will, never, I will never be able to run a marathon because I, I've, never, I've, I've run about five miles the farthest I've ever run. And then I wondered why did I do it? What was the point of that? But the point I'm making is as believers, though, we're in a marathon. This is a lifelong walk with the Lord. And if you are easily blown off the track when you get a little bit weary, you're not going to have a life that's going to have a great impact for the kingdom of God. See, testing doesn't produce faith, but it reveals and refines it. See, when we're walking in faith, you find out when that faith is put to the test, you find out who really has faith. It's easy to say, I have faith when I'm on the cruise ship to heaven and all the kids are healthy and there's money in the bank and the job's great and there's no trials going on in my life right now. But it's another thing to have faith when everything from the world's perspective seems to be falling apart. When we've lost our job, we've got a, a, a child that's wayward, we've got health issues, things that we can't fix, that only God can. And again, a faith that cannot be tr- tested is a faith that cannot be trusted. See, trials received by faith produce both spiritual endurance and a godly testimony. All of us have had trials in our life. And those trials that we go through are an opportunity for the gospel. There's so many divine appointments that come our way that we would miss out on without the trials of life. None of us is above a trial. Sometimes we look at others and think they have it made. By the way, I think most people do it sometimes. They look at everybody else and think, none of them have any problems. That's because you don't live in their house and you don't see what they're going through. We always assume everybody's got it better than us. 
And the reality is we're all going through trials together. And as we go through trials, we need to keep our eyes on Jesus. You know, and some people say, well, you know, the trial is running out of gas in their Rolls Royce or their cable goes out on their 80-inch TV or whatever. You know, we have this, this concept of trials that has nothing to do with what the Bible is really talking about here. Guys, we all face trials every single day. And you know what? As a pastor, I, I struggle with using myself as an example. But you know what? I go through trials all the time, too. We all do. Health issues. Spent nine months in the hospital in 2009. Uh, kids that have been away from the Lord and struggled with drugs. Uh, we dealt with financials. We've all dealt with it. But here's the difference. We don't go through it alone. God is faithful. And I know that most people go, have gone through much worse trials than I have. But you know what? I do think from time to time when we're going through the trials of life, it's good to be transparent to let people know that our God is still faithful because he is. James here is exhorting them to count it all joy and to be mindful of the fact that that test you're going through, no suffering is wasted. Amen? No suffering is wasted. Whatever you go through in this life, none of it is wasted. All of it will be used for the kingdom of God and for his glory. Hey, some of you tonight, this is being, just compounding another problem you already had. Maybe your marriage is going through a difficult time. Again, you have children in rebellion. Again, maybe you were already out of work. Several have dealt with, uh, people I talked to have dealt with deaths in their family. we got people that have a lot of things going on in their lives right now. And in the midst of all of that, I want you to know that people are watching. The world is watching. This is our opportunity to point people to Jesus. And that's exactly what James is encouraging. That the trials are not by accident. And in the end, if we will walk faithfully through them, they will produce fruit. Again, without a test, there can be no testimony. Praise God for the test. So we can rejoice, knowing, okay, Lord, you're bringing me through this, and you're going to use this for your kingdom and your glory. God always allows our faith to be tested. Remember that temptation comes from the enemy, but the trials are allowed by the Lord. And we can lose sight of how valuable our faith is. It is the refiner's fire of trials that purifies our faith. It strengthens it. It removes the dross. See, when, we, when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stood up and were thrown into the fiery furnace, when they stood, when, no one, when everyone else was bowing to a false idol, God brought them through a fire. And the great thing about it is when you look into the fiery furnace, when, you know, when, king, when the king was crying out, you know, throw them in. You can just see the veins popping on his neck. He wants them all dead, King Nebuchadnezzar. And he says, throw them in. And, you know, who's the God will deliver you out of my hands? And he throws them in the fire, and he looks into the fire, and instead of seeing three bound, he sees them walking around, and a fourth one in the fire in the likeness of the Son of God. And all of a sudden, he goes from, who is the God will deliver you out of my hands? I love that they had to be called out of a fire, because it's better to be in the fire with Jesus than out of the fire without him. And guys, it's better for us to go through this with Jesus. It's better for us to go through a pandemic, a lost job, health issues, children in rebellion, than to not know the Lord and be hanging out on the beach in the Bahamas. Can I get an amen to that? See, what God is, if God is for us, who can be against us? And as believers, we need to rejoice in the trials of life because it's an opportunity for us to grow and for God to be glorified. I would say this. There are ways that we can only grow through trials. Because again, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego grew a great deal because of the trials that they went through and stuff. I think that it, makes your, it puts your growth on steroids in a way, man. You grow a lot more when you're going through difficulty and you have to learn to put your faith in the Lord. And when we put our faith in the Lord and he comes through in the midst of a trial, when we come out the other side, we come out even stronger. Verse four, but let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete lacking nothing. Here we see the ultimate fruit of patience, endurance, steadfastness, and consistency. You know, one of, one of the things that I admire the most in other believers is believers whose faith never wavers. It's easy, again, to be that Christian who's up and down based on our circumstances. But true faith is an endurance and steadfastness that comes from a real relationship with the Lord. The characteristic of one who is not swerved by, from, from his deliberate purpose, one whose faith is not shaken, even in the midst of the greatest of trials and sufferings. And again, 
Uh, the faith that has not been tested is a faith that cannot be trusted. It says, let patience have its perfect work. The word there means it's full effect. Patience isn't just waiting. It's trusting God while we wait. And as we trust God while we wait, we don't want to miss out on the entire lesson God wants to give us, the lesson that God wants to show us. This doesn't happen by giving up, but by pressing in. When you give up and you murmur and you doubt God and you seek to escape the trial rather than grow, th grow through it, it reveals not only our spiritual immaturity and lack of faith, but it keeps us from developing godly character and it destroys our testimony. If you are a professing Christian and right now you are panicking and everyone knows it, you are harming your testimony. You're keeping yourself from growing. You're causing other people to want nothing to do with the God you say that you serve. But guys, when we stand in obedience to the Lord, we continue to have joy in the midst of it. It draws other people to the Savior that we serve. Guys, if God is for us, who can be against us? We need not be afraid. Again, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a power and love and a sound mind. Guys, when the world panics, we don't have to. Because again, I've read the end of the book and God wins. Can I get an amen? Let endurance and trials have its full effect. Don't cut it short. Again, finish the marathon. That's what he means to run the race. Paul uses that terminology a lot. He uses sports. And now running the race to win the prize. We want to live our life every day to bring glory and honor to our Savior. Let's not be satisfied with a saved soul and a wasted life. Let's not be satisfied being lukewarm believers. He said, if you're hot, be hot or cold, if you're lukewarm, I'll spew you out of my mouth. Guys, it's time for us to stoke up the flame right now and live out loud for Jesus Christ and point people to the answer. Again, the answer is not a vaccine. We can pray for a vaccine, but the answer is Jesus Christ. See, now these trials, it says at the end of that verse, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. The words perfect and complete mean fully developed in Christian character and spiritual maturity. I know this much. I want to be, I want to, I want to better represent the Lord than I do now. I want to walk closer to the Lord than I ever have. I want to know him better than I ever have. But guess what? When we want to be used mildly by the Lord, it means that there's going to be trials we go through to develop that character. That character cannot be developed apart from it. There's going to have to be some trials. and some King David, if you're here, on, if you follow us on Thursday nights, we're going through 2 Samuel right now. We just went through 1 Samuel. You know, David faced Goliath. But God prepared him for Goliath by, by him killing lions and bears and protecting sheep when no one was watching so God could use them when everyone was watching. And God does the same in our lives. If you're at home and moping and complaining and murmuring against God in quiet, in the quiet when no one's watching, it's doubtful, almost impossible, that you'll ever make a stand for God when everyone's watching. And so may we be people of, of not just of a good reputation, what we do when everyone's watching, may we be people of character who are godly when nobody is watching. David ran from Saul. He hid in caves. He fought with the Philistines. Years of anonymity as a shepherd. And again, God was preparing him to be a king. Joseph, his own brothers, contemplated killing him. They threw him in a pit. They sold him into slavery. He was falsely accused after being in Egypt and being raised to a position of authority in Potiphar's house. And Potiphar's wife accused him of rape. He was thrown in jail again. He, and then, in the end, he became the prince in Egypt. But guys, we never see what God's ultimate plan is for us. Let's just be faithful right where we are and trust that whatever God wants to do in and through us is something that we certainly don't want to miss out on. Can I get an amen to that? Most detailed and graphic example, of course, is the Apostle Paul. I could read the whole list, a day and night in the deep and scourgings often, beatings often, and famine, and all the things that he went through along with everything that came upon him daily. Paul could be described as the greatest Christian who ever lived. And he's also a man who suffered more than almost any man who ever lived. One of the things that Paul said is this, one of my life verses, it's Acts 20, 24, but none of these things move me. Nor do I count my life dear to myself, so I might finish my race with joy and the ministry which I have received from the Lord Jesus Christ to testify of the gospel of the grace of God. See, deep character is birthed through trials. And notice that in the end of it, he says, none of these things move me because this was an opportunity. These are things that God used in my life. He spent a day and night in the deep, and then when he got out of the water, he got bit by a snake. I mean, whatever, wherever he turned, it seemed like more and more trials were coming, and he could have murmured with God, or he could have allowed, allowed God to use this to grow him. How are you responding 
to this pandemic? Are you murmuring? Are you complaining? Are you doubting God? Are you questioning God? Are you allowing God to use this to grow you spiritually? And are you looking for divine appointments and opportunities to be used for his kingdom and for his glory? I think of no greater example of lacking nothing. Again, a man battered, beaten, persecuted, imprisoned, yet his trials had developed such deep and godly character and eternal perspective that he absolutely lacked nothing. The word lacking nothing there means to, to fail or to be absent, to be destitute. So we're not in that place. We don't lack anything if we're walking with the Lord. When Jesus is all you have, you'll realize that Jesus is all you need. And sometimes we need to be brought to that place where we don't, the stock market's not where it, where it was three weeks ago. There's people that are panicking about a lot of things that are temporary. And I'm not downplaying that that's not a trial and it's not difficult. And as we as believers, we should be ministering to each other, the people that are going through those trials. But in the midst of that, let's not miss out on the fact that God allowed it for a reason. One who has faithfully and patiently endured through great trials may have, from the world's perspective, lost everything, but having grown in spiritual maturity, having experienced times when the Lord was all that he had, it is then that we realize, again, that the Lord is all we need. You know, most of the time, when you talk to people that have gone through great trials, and you ask them if they could go back and skip it, the answer is always no. Why is it no? Because we, we would miss out on all the spiritual growth and opportunity to point up other people to the Lord. So how do you respond to trials and tribulations? Again, trials are not punishment from God, but an opportunity to be used by God. Again, a faith that hasn't been tested is a faith that cannot be trusted. We're to count it all joy, my brethren. When we fall into various trials, we should be rejoicing. Finally, where do you turn for wisdom? Okay, here we are. Some people are like, I don't know what to do. I don't know where to turn. I don't know where to go. And you're sitting there maybe in front of the TV all day watching uh, some of which is ungodly counsel. The Bible says to walk not in the counsel of the ungodly. I encourage you, for every hour you watch COVID covering, spend three hours in the Bible. Can I get an amen to that? Seek first the kingdom of God, because he will give you the truth and the hope. So where do you turn for wisdom? There's no greater time to seek godly wisdom than when you're in the midst of a trial. Again, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. Run to the Lord, not to the world. Walk not in the counsel of the ungodly. Look at verse 5. If anyone lacks wisdom, let him tune into CNN. No, it didn't say that. It says, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. Can I get an amen? amen? We don't run to the world. We run to the Lord. We seek wisdom from God. The world has no wisdom. The world can have knowledge, but they don't have wisdom because the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. And so when we're in the midst of a trial, we can be educated about things going on around us, but don't put your faith in that. Put your faith in the Lord. I would venture to guess that the... the the, the most often request I get, the thing that I deal with the most when I'm praying for people or counseling with somebody, almost always has to do with wisdom. What do I do? What choice do I make? Should I marry this person? Should I take this job? What does the Lord have for me? And that's a question that we all have from time to time. So how should I respond to, to the way this person's treating me? Which job offer should I take? Should I buy this house? How can I approach my lost family that won't listen to me? What should I do with my rebellious child? You know, ultimately, every one of these uh, prayer requests is for one thing, wisdom. Lord, show me what to do. Great prayer to pray, by the way. One of my favorite prayers, by the way, is Lord, help. I pray it often. <laughs> Lord, help. Lord, give me derision. My wife will say it to me all the time. I'll, just, I'll, be, I'll be in the living room. I'll say, Lord, help. I'm reading the Bible, or I'm, I know that I'm, I'm counseling somebody on the phone, or, and it's just, Lord, I need your help, because Lord, I need the Lord's wisdom. It's not our wisdom, it's his wisdom, amen? And the wisdom comes from him. In context of the previous verses, there's no greater time to seek godly wisdom than when you're in the midst of a trial and you can't fix it yourself. It's a great time for us to get on our knees and say, Lord, I don't know what to do, but Lord, you do. Lord, show me how I can be used for your kingdom and your glory. If we're not growing through our trials, it's because we're not turning to God in prayer and asking for his help and his direction. Lord, what do you want me to learn through this? What wisdom is there for me in the midst of this trial? In trials, we need wisdom a lot more than we need knowledge. See, knowledge is just information, but wisdom is taking that and knowing how to use it. God put something on my heart yesterday. Most of you know I have a full-time job. A whole bunch of my coworkers 
got laid off last Friday. A lot of them I know somewhat well, some I know a little bit. And God put it on my heart yesterday to go to our company phone, and I called every one of them to pray for them and to encourage them and to love on them in Jesus' name. And you know what? Through a trial that we're going through, I had an opportunity to speak into some people's lives. And I did it because I love them and I care about them because Jesus loves them. just want to encourage them that God is still faithful and God is still in control. Can I get an amen to that? And we need to pray for those divine appointments. And I know I had nothing to do with that. The Lord is the one that put that on my heart. And then he brought about the divine appointments. And I don't want to miss those. And I know I miss them often when I'm so focused on myself and I take my eyes off the Lord and other people. It's been said that knowledge is the ability to take things apart and wisdom is the ability to put them back together. Can I get an amen? And so people get puffed up in their knowledge, but true wisdom only comes from the Lord. So trials almost by their very definition are situations beyond our control, things that we cannot overcome by ourselves. And one of the many blessings of a trial is it forces us to turn God, turn to God to seek his help, his wisdom, his direction, and his comfort. Again, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. A lot of times people only pray when they're desperate. We had more people, we had about five times the normal number of people watch our service on Sunday. I wonder why that is. Because people are at home, they're confined, but people are also looking for answers. And a lot of people are being brought to a place of desperation. They're concerned, they're worried, they're fearful. And you know what? The place we should turn to is the Lord. And we need to continue to do that. Notice what it says here. If, anyone's lack, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. God should be the first place we run, not the last place. It should not be the last resort. Can I get an amen? I went to the bank, and then I called this person, and I sought out this answer, and then I went online, and then I you know, went to Wikipedia, and I did this, and now I can't find, oh yeah, I guess I'll just pray. That's my last chance. Guys, he should be the first one we turn to. Amen? Pray without ceasing, for this is the will of God. And again, we should run to the Lord. Let him ask of God. The word in there in the Greek is to beg, to call for, to crave, to desire. When was the last time you craved being in God's presence? When was the last time you had such a deep desire to spend time with the Lord? When was the last time? Are we so distracted by life that we never have time to be still and know that he's God? To be in his presence? You know, for a lot of us, we have to stay home. You have more time to spend with the Lord. The Lord or Netflix, choose one. Can I get an Amen. Notice what it says here. It says, If anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally without reproach, and it will be given to him. Now, this is a verse taken out of context. Notice in the context, he's saying, In the midst of trials, cry out to God. People will take this verse and say, See, you just got to claim it. You got to tell the Lord you want a Cadillac, or tell the Lord you want money. And, and, it's all, and they make, it, make him the holy Santa Claus in the sky. You take a text out of context, all you got left is a con. That's not what this is talking about. It's saying in the midst of trials and difficulty, turn to the Lord, ask of him, and he will take care of you. He will. He's a faithful God. The word literally there is bountifully, liberally, he will bountifully bless you. God doesn't hold back on his kids. And I'm not talking about stuff. Because guys, here's the reality. I'm glad God doesn't just give me stuff. I'm glad what he gives me will outlast this life. Can I get an amen? If he gave me all the stuff I wanted, I, would, I wouldn't be as desperate for him. If he gave me all the stuff I want, I'd be distracted, wouldn't spend enough time with him. Can I get an amen to that? Here's a prayer we need to pray. Lord, don't give me more stuff. Don't give me so much that I can't take my eyes off you for a minute. Don't put so much money in my bank account that I cease to be desperate for you. You don't hear that, the name and acclaim and grab it and clab, blab at churches. Amen. But guys, that's the reality. And he says here, he gives to all liberally without reproach which means he does it without defaming or taunting. When you come to God, he will not mock you or chastise you for your lack of wisdom. He knows you don't have it and you need to come to him for it. Can I get an amen? You know what happens when you get on your knees and cry out to the Lord? You are confessing openly, the Lord, I can't do this without you. Lord, I need you. And I've shared this many times. My most desperate prayers come when I'm in a position, maybe where somebody I love is in a desperate, desperate spot and I can't fix it. I end up on my face crying out to God, and I'm not worried about what anybody else thinks about it either. And you know what? Praise God for the trials of life that will bring us to the place where we're not worried about what people think. We're only, we're, our only concern is getting into the presence of Almighty God and seeking His direction and His will and His wisdom. Can I get an amen to that? Lord, bring it about. Do what needs to be done. If you're a child, His child, He loves you. 
and he so desperately wants to minister to you, notice the promise, and it will be given to him. If you come seeking wisdom, he promises to give it to you. Solomon asked God for wisdom, and God made him the wisest man on the earth. God is not hiding his best from you. He desperately wants to give it to you. All you need to do is ask. But again, his best is not a new car to drive. His best is walking in intimate fellowship with him. His best is being filled with the Holy Spirit. His best is having spiritual gifts and using them for his kingdom and for his glory. I've, I've said it in the, in, in the, you know, next to people who are dying. I've done a, probably a couple hundred memorial services in my lifetime. No one's ever said, I wish I'd had a nicer car. No one's ever said, I wish I'd made more money. Or I've done that remodel on my house or gone on that vacation I always wanted to go on. When you're at the end of your life, it's, I wish I'd done more for the Lord and I'd ministered more to my family. And guys, we still have time to do that. And you know what? Right now, we got a lot of people, you're locked down with your kids. Use this as an opportunity to minister to your family, to be the priest in your household. Can I get an amen to that? I want to encourage you to do that. Let's finish up. Verse 6. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For he who doubts is like a wave in the sea driven, tossed by the wind. Our request for wisdom must be made like any other in faith, without doubting God's ability or desire to give us wisdom. It shows us the kind of heart we need in seeking God's wisdom, a heart that believes God's word, that he still speaks to us today, one who is willing to wait for God's answer in God's time, to trust, to believe, and to wait. Notice, as much as when you want to know God, his, his, his desire for your will, his will for our lives, what he desires you to do, he wants, he wants you to know it even more than we do. He wants us to be in the center of his will more than we do. So when we ask him, Lord, give me wisdom, it's something that he will always give us if we truly come humbly and broken before him without doubting. When we come seeking wisdom, we're asking him for the very thing that he wants to give us. Is it God's will to give you wisdom? The answer is yes, every single time. Is it God's will to use you for his kingdom and his glory? The answer is yes every time. Is it God's will to mold you more and more into the image of his son? The answer is yes every time. So if you pray for wisdom, if you pray to be used by God, if you pray for opportunities to be used for his kingdom and his glory, that is a prayer that he will answer every single time. But we need to pray it by faith without doubting. Amen? And that's what this verse says. Doubting is wavering. It's to, to be hesitant, to, to stagger back and forth. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. I would also say this. Without faith, it's impossible to hear God. You can't hear him. And by the way, without faith, he doesn't hear you either. Can I get an amen to that? We don't come questioning or doubting, but believing. And again, he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind, being blown back and forth between faith and unbelief, instead of patiently and faithfully waiting on God's direction. Don't take things into our own hands. Don't move before you hear from God. Here's what happens often. People pray and then, you know, it's been 45 minutes, he hasn't answered. So then you take things into your own hands and then it falls apart and then you blame God. Guys, we need to pray. We need to wait. Rest in him. Be patient. And he'll show you when to move. Verse 7. Almost done. For let not that man suppose he will receive anything from the Lord. Anyone who's tossed to and fro, whose relationship with God is up and down. I've had a in the last week, I've probably had 10 conversations with people who used to attend here or I haven't seen in a while, and a lot of them haven't been in fellowship. And God is using this to get them back on their knees. God is using this to get them to go, whoa, this, I've read some stuff from Revelation. That sounds like this might be getting close. But amen. And the reality is that praise God for whatever trial it takes in our life to get our eyes off of ourselves, off our bank account, off our comfort, and get our eyes back on the Lord to help us to quit being double-minded men or tossed to and fro. It says in Hebrews 11, But without faith it is impossible to please him, for he that comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. See, we can come boldly before the throne of grace. Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. He intercedes on our behalf. And we can come boldly into his presence. Now, we don't command God. We don't tell God what to do. He tells us what to do. Can I get an amen to that? But we can come boldly. We don't have to come in, you know, shy about it. We don't have to come doubting if he's God. We know that he's God. We know what his word says. His Holy Spirit lives inside of us. So we can come before him boldly and say, Lord, help. Lord, I need you. 
Lord, give me wisdom. I don't know what to do. Give me direction. Let's not be moved by our, by our circumstances. Let's be led by the Holy Spirit. Amen? And that's the exhortation here. Faith is not stepping out into the unknown as much as it is obeying the Lord and what he has commanded us to do. Faith isn't just stepping out and trusting God will show up. It's when the Lord moves on our heart and we step out in faith. We know when God called us to plant this church, it'll be seven years uh, next month. When God called us to plant this church, I had never even been to this city before. We came here, we started in a community center with a few people, and I know that I know that I know that I know that God brought us here. And you know what? When you know that God brought you here, you can live it out by faith. Can I get an amen to that? God called us, God's, God is for us. God, you know, been, I was praying fervently because we were packing up that, that community center. We didn't have a chance to go. We had one room for children. I'm like, Lord, help. I don't know what to do. We've looked at places. Lord, help. And then he opens up a synagogue for us to meet in. See, our God is a faithful God. Amen? And when we pray, we step out in faith because he shows us what to do and we can obey him. We don't just say, well, Lord, bless this, and we step off a, a, step off a cliff. We obey the Lord. We spend time in his word, and we walk by faith not by sight. God sees his heart, and he should know that God will not answer somebody who prays double-minded. Well, look, God, if you're really there, then that's not prayer. And if we don't have the Holy Spirit living inside of us, we've not been born again, the only prayer he's going to hear is a prayer of repentance. But once we know the Lord, we have intimate fellowship with him. We can pray without ceasing, and like Adam, we can walk with the Lord in the cool of the day. We We can just be talking to the Lord all day long. And guys, my heart breaks for people that don't know that. Guys, that doesn't, that doesn't change by just going to church. You must be born again. Final verse. Let not that man suppose he will receive anything from the Lord. He is double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Guys, when we waver between faith and unbelief, we have enough faith to ask, but not enough to believe or to wait. See, praying in faith, but not being willing to wait is not really faith. You're double-minded. You're easily blown from one side to the other. A faith that hasn't been tested is a faith that cannot be trusted. See, when somebody really is walking with the Lord, their faith only grows through trials. Doesn't mean we don't have moments of, of doubt or, or questioning because all, we all have flesh. But again, the lack of stability in one's prayer life is a reflection of every aspect of your life. You want to know how you're doing spiritually? Check out your prayer life. Do you spend time in God's presence every day? Do you, do you, do you cry out to the Lord? Do you intercede on behalf of other people? The Lord said, you shall make my father's house a house of of prayer. Pray without ceasing, for this is the will of God. And so a lot of people have told me, you know, I'm praying more. Well, then praise God for the pandemic. If that's what it took to get us praying more, then bring on another one. Can I get an amen to that? Because guys, the reality is the greatest thing we can do is be in a place where we can't fix it. We remain humble, broken, and desperate before the Lord when we seek to do his will, when we're crying out to him constantly. And then as we seek his face, he gives us direction. He gives us divine appointments and opportunities to reach other, others for the, with the kingdom, with the truth of the gospel. So, in closing, marks of a mature Christian. How do you see yourself? You're a sinner in desperate need of a Savior, just like me. We should be humble, broken, and desperate. How do you see Jesus? He is Almighty God. He's the, he, he alone is God. There's no other God before him, beside him, or after him. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. There's no other God before him or after him. Jesus Christ is the only one who can save sinners like you and me, and he did. By the way, he is a risen and living Savior. He triumphed over sin and death. So we should be humble as we look at ourselves, but we should recognize Jesus for who he is, Almighty God, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, and the Savior of the world. How do you respond to trials and tribulations? If you're walking in spiritual maturity, you recognize it's not punishment. It's an opportunity for the gospel. That every trial we go through, God will use for his kingdom and for his glory if we will let him. And then finally, where do you turn for wisdom, knowledge, and direction? Do you open up the word of God? Do you spend time on your knees? Are you seeking direction from the Lord? Are you caught up with everything that you hear from the media and the world around us? Guys, if your eyes are on the Lord, you won't panic. If your eyes are on the Lord, you won't be afraid. If your eyes are on the Lord, you can rejoice and you can count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Amen? Lord, we thank you, we praise you, we love you. You are indeed a great and an awesome God. And Lord, we just, I pray for everybody that's out there right now that's listening to this message either tonight or, or later. Lord, I pray you would be, again, they would know the God of all comfort, 
That, Lord, we would be those who walk in humility. That we would stay humble, broken, and desperate before you. That, Lord, we would cry out to you. That we would seek your face to know your will. That we would recognize our Savior for who he is. But, Lord, I pray in the midst of these trials, we would be different than the world. The world panics because they have no hope. We should never panic because our hope is in you. Lord, we're thankful that you're on the throne. You're in control. You're a faithful God. And Lord, we know that you're going to bring us through this. But Lord, we don't want to just endure it and survive it. We want to thrive through it and be used for your kingdom and for your glory in the midst of it. And then finally, Lord, we pray that you would seek only you for wisdom. That Lord, you alone would be the one that we turn to. And again, we thank you. We praise you. We pray for our nation. We pray for the people in this fellowship, those watching right now, that you would comfort and encourage them. And Lord, that we would find our hope in you. We ask these things in your holy and your precious name we pray. And all God's people said, let's stand up and close the worship song.